Welcome to MCSO Behind the Badge, an inside look at the Monroe County Sheriff's Office in Rochester, New York, under the leadership of Sheriff Todd Baxter. We're going to talk about what drives us, our leadership culture, our police work, and share some stories of the great deputies and civilian staff that work with us. We're going to talk with interesting guests, and we're going to invite you to engage in the conversation or just sit back, relax, and listen in. Now let's get in pursuit of today's show. Welcome back, friends. This is Todd Baxter, Monroe County Sheriff here at the uh, Sheriff's Office in Rochester, New York. We uh, serve a population of about 750,000 people. Uh, the Sheriff's Office has about 1,000 great employees. Uh, some of them are uh, separated in different bureaus. And my co-host today is uh, Deputy Tisdale from the Court Bureau. Tiz, how are you? Hey, doing well. Well, and loving being here. Sheriff, this is a phenomenal, like I said, opportunity. And what we're going to talk about today has got to be an importance that affects not just us here, but uh, the community. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, victims of crime, right? And uh, and their perspective, maybe talk to a little bit about you know, criminal justice reform and what tools we could just use to keep our community safer, yeah, keep the tenets of reforms up. We could do both at the same time. Uh, you know, I just want to share some real quick facts. 2021 saw a 125% increase in murders in the city of Rochester in a five-year average compared to a five 125%. Think about that number. Oof. 2021 saw a 120% increase of individuals killed by gun violence over a five-year average and a 105% increase in shooting victims Oof. over a five-year average. So this is not just a whim. This is not just a COVID thing. This is, I mean, that's all contributing poverty, structural racism. All these things contribute to crime, right? We understand right. that. Uh, but something has significantly gone wrong when we have numbers that staggering 100% increase in, in crime. Uh, and that's the violent crime. As I talk all the time, we, we, we forget about the, the misdemeanor victims, right? <laughs> Literally, yeah, right. I, I'm told in meetings, oh, it's just a misdemeanor. What do you guys care? Well, if it was you being punched in the face, you yeah, care exactly. a lot. It was your $999 being <laughs> stolen. You you don't have a, a, a piss to pot in, a pot yeah. to piss in, excuse me. Uh, you know, you care a lot about that $900 that was just stolen out of your, your, your property, right? And uh, so we just got to, yeah, mark that down, Amy. That's going to be a believer right there. <laughs> but we got to do much better. <laughs> Uh, on identifying victims and truly what it feels like to be a victim of a crime. So uh, that's what we're here to talk about today. We got Paula from our Victims Assistance uh, Specialist out of A-Zone. How are you? Good. How are you, Sheriff? Good. Thought this was the third time you were back on our podcast. You're telling me you've never been on it before. I've never been on the podcast <laughs> well, before. Well, this is deja vu for me, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Paula, how about just a little bit about yourself, what you do for us, and your experience with the, in particular with the District Attorney's Office? Sure. I'm uh, The Crime Victim Specialist is my title at the A-Zone. Um, I work with victims of crime all ty types of crime and I would say that I come into contact more often with victims of the lower level crimes right. and work with them to help them understand the system understand their options and make sure that they're being served properly within our community I started at a zone in July oh. of 2021 I had previously been at the district attorney's office as a victim advocate for 26 years. That's incredible. Yeah, so I have, there I worked with all victims. I mean, I worked with all levels of crime and I, I checked before I left there, I went back and looked at my cases and I had worked with over 130 homicide families on trials that, and, and different cases. That's profound on a couple things and I know we're gonna try and concentrate on crime, right, and crime victims and what we could do with some reforms. But you worked 130 homicides. cases with homicides. Yeah. Wives, husbands, moms, dads, right. brothers, sisters. Children. Children. 
and you know, when I say homicides, I, it's really not your everyday. You hear about the homicides. It's also mm-hmm. fatal DWIs, right. fatal um, car crashes, whether it's a DWI or not. I mean, they're also homicide victims. So the the victims, right, and the families got to go through a process, right? Sure. Hopefully, they're going to get justice, and that's yeah. where the DA's office comes in. And you're literally holding the hands of these people, walking them through that system all the way through the court proceedings and, and I can't imagine the, the the trauma you absorb. I can't imagine over all these years of, of what you had to you know absorb and, and feel and have empathy and compassion. Uh, yeah and I you know it's it's funny because I think as I, I was going through it, any any case when right. you're going through it you, you just do it right it's your job and it was the after yeah that I had to always step back and I used to have moments where it would hit me in the you know early days i would i call them my kitchen floor moments because i'd be doing the dishes and all of a sudden something would hit me and i just sit on the kitchen floor and cry over something thanks for sharing it yeah and when i recognized that i was like i need to do this more often yeah i need to purge yeah i need to purge (laughs) all that more often so i would i would plan to to do it you know i would plan to really think about what is affecting these people these people that i'm working with and what i'm absorbing and feel it out you know let it go so that I can help the next. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking care of yourself so you, you can be better prepared taking care of these victims and, and, uh, and their families. It's incredible what uh, we fail to talk about in law enforcement and criminal justice is, is the victims. They're, they're never yeah. brought up in any stat we want to talk about right. right now. And stat, folks, hear me loud and clear. When you say stats, and you know, they're people, right? right stop. Right. They're people. Whether it's a murder victim or an assault victim, stop putting a number on these people, right? That's that's rude. First of all, they're a victim of a crime, or right? right? And, and well, I want to see thirty-seven percent of this, or one hundred percent. They're human beings, and their families are human beings, right? Um, well, that's they, the importance of something yeah, like go this ahead. With, with a, a podcast like this. Is like we, with the behind the badge, you, you're describing things that you know about the officers themselves and their lives, and it goes well beyond that yeah. with you guys, what you're dealing with. And I always wondered that myself. I mean, I've seen you in, you know, in where I work in the courts is to where how you deal with families, volatile situations. And, and you know, we, we deal with one aspect of it and you deal with the whole other aspect yeah. of it. And that's amazing. And to hear when you're saying, you know, in your early days, the way it hit you like that, that's, that's profound because a lot of people don't realize don't that. Don't see that. Yeah, yeah. They don't see that side right. of it. Yeah. And pro- a lot of people don't want to talk about it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Maybe everybody has a kitchen floor moment, but uh, nobody comes in the next day and talks about it. Well, if they're human, they do, right? Yeah. If they're right. human, if they're true within herself, absolutely. Uh, this vicarious trauma is a real, real thing. Yeah. And, and post-traumatic stress is a real, real thing. And, and um, so we brought another guest. Sure did. Lisa, from a, we, we've been talking lately some very profound organizations in our community. Other communities don't have some of these organizations. And, and Willow Domestic Violence Center is just one of those. And Lisa, you're one of the members of Willow. So maybe just a quick introduction yeah. about yourself and then uh, what Willow is doing for our community. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me. My name is Lisa Nolan. I'm the Director of Prevention Education at Willow Domestic Violence Center. So, um, you know, my role actually is being out in the community talking about domestic violence, teaching people about what it is that we're looking at, what people are going through, how we can talk about this in a better way, how we can support survivors, 
and you know teaching young kids too about healthy relationships right. um i i often call myself an air traffic controller for what we do um i am organizing myself and my team in the community we are in schools in middle school and high school we're with law enforcement we are with healthcare professionals we are in the church basement talking to the church ladies right. um you know we're everywhere that anybody asks us to be to talk about this and how we can support people all over the community because the reality is that domestic violence is an issue that impacts Everybody. Everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, what zip code you live in, where you work, what's going on. There are survivors every single place. So obviously, you know, our topic of conversation has an impact on domestic violence survivors, too. And thinking about our legal justice system and where survivors fit in that system, where the gaps are and um, how we can help people through the system as advocates and as law enforcement and as anybody who is working through the system. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been rough for you just to put that out there, just with the the fact of like with COVID, the whole situation with COVID. Mm-hmm. And I know doing what, you know, working with Willow and the fact of there had to be a phenomenal uptick on mm-hmm. the, the cases that you guys were dealing with, especially mm-hmm. with COVID around and, mm-hmm. you know, more or less people confined to certain spaces, mm-hmm. people, conf- you know, the whole dynamics, yeah. is that, it's got to be a nightmare. Yeah, it was a nightmare, um, you know, and we're still seeing the impact of that even, you know, two years out. You know, those initial days were very, very difficult and incredibly dangerous, as you all know. And, you know, I think in the community, we talked about so many agencies and so many people who didn't stop. Our law enforcement, our grocery store, you know, the, right. the people who are picking up our trash. And sometimes we forgot about some of the other folks, too. Yeah. So like us at Willow, we didn't close. You we can't. didn't stop answering right. the phone. We didn't close our doors. People still needed safety and shelter. And we had to figure out how to do all that with you know the ppe and spacing and you know people literally in a shelter environment how do you do that with social distancing and 30 plus kids in our shelter every single night of the week it's been tough um and to hear some of the stories coming out of that um has been heartbreaking but you know we're every day we're still there we're answering the phone and the doors are open so what I can't, I want to do just a little bit deeper dive into Willow, you know, what you guys, what your mission is. And, but you just hit a number. How many kids in your shelter? Well, our, we have a shelter um, that is in a safe, confidential, sure. private location. Yeah. Um, we have 49 beds in our shelter. A typical night, we have over over 30 of those beds are children. Typically, <laughs> wow. census is around 30 to 33 children. We, we joke internally that it's a children's shelter. Right. Um, and those are children that are there with their parent, parent. or guardian. Um, but it is mostly children from zero to 18 please people listen to this story listen to that fact listen to these are not stats these are not these are people uh, a misdemeanor even a harassment a violation mm-hmm. and the and the wife and the kids have to be sent to willow right and, right. and th- these are kids sleeping in a shelter right mm-hmm. because of, of, of a violation yeah. not even a high level crime and yeah thank you for painting that picture just a little bit yeah. Well, domestic violence. So who are you? I'm sorry, I cut you I, off. I was just going to say, too, you know, it's a beautiful, gorgeous shelter. Yeah. You know, it's, oh, it's it not what, whatever you're thinking in your head a shelter looks like. That's not what our shelter looks like. No. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's, it's trauma-informed. Yep. It is clean. And we do our best to keep it that way. But the fact of the matter is, it is still a shelter. F- and if you think about taking your four kids yes. out of your home and living in, you know, like a 30 by 31 room, even if you have a TV and a fridge in your own bathroom, 
it is still living in a 30 by 30 with four children. Right. Where's all the clothes? Tough. Where's the money, right? That it, yeah. it's part of this domestic violence usually, right? The right. hoarding of the money right. and the control. Where's the school bus going to pick up these kids to the next day, it's, right? Where's their change of clothes? Yes. Where, what are their friends going to say when they Absolutely. show up to school tomorrow? Where are you staying? Yeah. Right? And people do not yeah. put <laughs> paint the real picture what's going yeah. on here. And then we have to, you know, they have to tell the school because we have to arrange transportation right. and all of that stuff. So it's not just I'm here in this safe, confidential location. It's I am here, and who else has to know about this now? Because now my whole life has been flipped upside down, right. and all these other accommodations have to be made. It's just not that simple for it's survivors. Not, it's not that simple. And it happens hundreds of times hundreds. in our community a week. And, hundreds. And, and uh, so let's let's just a little deeper dive into Willow. So yeah. we can't just uh, go gloss over it, how yeah. precious you guys in our community. So who are you and what do you guys do for a living? What's your mission? What's the so mission? So our mission is to serve survivors of domestic violence and help them, um, empower them on their journey to safety and healing. Um, additionally, our mission it also includes preventing violence in the community and teaching people about healthy relationships. We have an incredible variety of services. Yes, our shelter is beautiful and wonderful. However, we have a 24-hour hotline and text line that is answered by real humans, all day and all night long. Right. Um, we have a court advocacy program. We have advocates who are walking survivors through um, the order of protection process in family court. We have mobile advocates who can hit the road and come to where you are because we know that it's not always safe for survivors to come to us. We um, have counseling services, short-term crisis intervention, and some a little bit of longer-term services. We work on human trafficking, sex trafficking, labor trafficking. We have a deaf advocacy program. We have two deaf advocates that are on staff with That's us. Great. So we can bring down those barriers in our community where we have the highest deaf and hard of hearing population per capita in the United States, y'all. High five to Rochester. We're doing it here, right? And we have um, prevention education programs. So the swath of what we're doing in the community is really, really large, and we're trying to hit every piece and corner of the community because, again, survivors are everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's amazing, and especially what you two ladies do. And I don't get to see that side of it, you know what I mean? And just hearing what you what you guys do and more in depth with Willow, it's amazing to hear. Now we've all heard about the, the criminal justice reform laws. Everybody's got their own opinion on it, and I'm pretty sure you ladies have yours. But the fact is, how has it impacted your role as a victim assistance advocate or a domestic violence advocate? So, Lisa, when you were talking about the shelter, I was thinking about the reform and how, especially with bail reform and not having the time to diffuse a, a situation in domestic violence cases, um, has there been an increase in the need for shelter because the perpetrator of the violence is not being removed from the situation any longer because of the way the bail reform has been. So have you seen an uptake in the need for the shelter? I'm not sure I would core I'm not sure I would correlate the two of those things. I mean, we've seen an increase in need of shelter, um, but I, I think that that's more tied to the, the lack of safe and affordable housing in our community and places for people to go because again, shelter is a very temporary stop. Sure. Um, you know, the 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 issue with bail reform a little bit is that um, you know, most domestic violence isn't violent felony crime. Right. You know, the stuff that survivors are calling for is misdemeanor stuff that you know, somebody's not going to get picked up for anyway. That the that this is um, stuff that that would be the same pre the bail reform bill. So, yeah. 
you know, there are, there are absolutely outlying cases and things that we can look at and say, wow, this is, this is a really dangerous particular situation. But the vast majority of domestic violence cases, we're not seeing and hearing survivor stories that are much different than what pre-bail reform is. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't take a look at this. There aren't, you know, some fundamental issues there. Um, but, you know, for us, it's not, a, it's not a giant impact. Yeah. One of the things I'm looking at is, so we, we, we ripped up the bail. Bail is just one part of criminal justice reform. Yep. We had right. the HALT Act. We had Raise the Age. We mm-hmm. had Discovery Reform. Mm-hmm. We had, it's just the, in 36 months. These yeah. all came flowing down the pipe, and, and we just in the system are trying to catch up and train our people and understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so when we, when we tore up bail, you know, we're supposed to tear it up and make it better, right? So and, and what some of the things that were improved were we're just not incarcerating you know, kids that don't have 50 bucks and another kid does that 50 bucks, right? Uh, he gets to walk free. Or, or as we just had a drug dealer, we went down to Texas, picked him up. He's a drug dealer and, and accused of murder. And he fled Rochester and we had to go pick him up in Texas, bring him back and he got out for $12,000 bail, right? He, he's a flight risk, obviously. We picked him up in Texas and he's a murderer, accused murder. So he's a danger to us. And why we cannot detain that person mm-hmm. long enough to at least set up Survivor plans, right, to, to, for the survivors. Right. But so I go back to domestic violence is, is, is a harassment. It's not even a misdemeanor in New York State. Uh, but the guy is a, a intoxicated wreck in the backseat of a police car and a raving maniac, and he says, I'm going to get her. Mm-hmm. I'm done. And this has been building up for 10 years, right? This is We don't get called to the first domestic violence incident ever, right? right? So the money's been hoarded. The kids have been abused. There's intimidation. And, and we just want – so where I'm going back with bail is how about we just talk about it that we need to detain certain people even temporarily with judges' approval and with mm-hmm. advocates on both sides watching what we're doing and transparency, who's in the jail and why they're in the jail should be transparent on a billboard. Uh, but the fact is, if we tore it up, let's go back and, and, and look at it and do it right. You know, we're talking about detaining someone prior to convic- conviction of a crime. I think that's it's our constitution, right? So, But if we're going to detain them, then let's detain them for four hours and detox that mail and get you guys from Willow and your mm-hmm. education people in that jail and talk to this guy before he gets out and, and give the wife a chance to get to us shelter yeah. with the kids. But we can't even have these conversations because everybody's so dug in their foxholes now. It's, it's amazing. But, um, you know, so I'll get a little bit off that. I'm, I'm very passionate about this whole thing. But when you get into HALT Act, you guys have no idea what the HALT Act is because you don't work in a jail. But it's it's bail reform inside a jail. It's 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 uh, we can't keep people in solitary confinement. That almost lost a deputy the other day was almost murdered yeah. by an inmate, and, and and the perpetrator's got 20 days in solitary, and now she's back out wandering around. Uh, can wrap her arms around one of my deputies. <laughs> not going to suck it right now. There's not much I could do for it. But we can't get people like you. I don't know if Willow was part of these conversations. You know, uh, it, it, when reforms came about. You know, I'm not sure so, that we. I'm not sure that we we were. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure on state level. Um, you know, some of our partners maybe were. Yeah. Um, but I know that we were not part of that. Yeah. It's, so my point is, if we're going to rip up stuff and, and make it new, then get all the stakeholders in a room mm-hmm. and find out what everybody needs and keep the tenants of reform easy. God, it's easy. But also, how do I protect that lady who's just wanted for harassment? Because what I hear one too many right. times, it's just a misdemeanor. Right. <laughs> just, what? Right. Well, which is part of the, the bail reform confusion, too, is that, you know, people don't know that. People are right. living literally in a law and order SVU world. <laughs> So the the idea is, oh, I'm going to make this call and here's what's going to happen. And we know that that is just literally not no, reality. No. So even thinking about we need to train our, our boots on the ground of what this means and what this is, because 
survivors are confused when they call and why would I call? And law enforcement is confused when they arrive on the scene and they're like, well, we can't do anything. Right. And then the cycle and which is fair, right? Which is fair. And the cycle just keeps ongoing. And so pretty soon we have survivors who are stuck and they'll say, well, I'm never going to call because nothing's going to happen and I don't understand what's going on. And it's all just pointless anyway. And that can't be right. And that's, that's across the board. That's with other cases, types of cases too, victims and witnesses for that matter. Um, don't really see the point because nothing's going to happen. Right. And all they're going to do is poke the bear, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And they're going to, they're worried about retaliation. Sure. So especially in with discovery reform, that mm-hmm. was a huge, huge piece of the problem right. um, for victims and witnesses when that came up, because it says that we have to turn over their information to a defense attorney an independent and I understand the logic behind sure we should have the information that of who's accusing us of, of something sure but within reason mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. time frame wise especially and nobody had control over when the reform went into effect and then two months later COVID happened right. and courts right. shut down yeah right nobody had any idea that was going to happen but that's what did happen well and, so. and again if you're going to plan these mass sweeping changes, just pick one of the five that I mentioned earlier. Then where is the train up, right? Where's the education That's people it. for the community, for the, the stakeholders in this new reform that are going to come out, whether it's a, a victim advocate or law enforcement or courts, public defenders, everybody. Right. They should have a training module that goes over this. And then, um, you know, and then, but the point I'm making with, with state, they never come to the end user and say, we're going to do this. What's the blind spot we need right. to be concerned about? And discovery mm-hmm. was a, a simple example of, yeah, you're accused of a crime you, in America. You should know who's accusing you and right. what they're saying about you. Absolutely. That's, I, I agree 100%. But are there mechanisms in certain cases that we can protect information or at least hold it as close to our chest as possible? But we can't even have those conversations because no one in Albany called and said, Nobody. hey, we're about ready to do this and, and here's our blind spots. And, and that's where I'm pleading people. Just get, if they got Willow to the, to the table, I'm just using you guys as an example. I know I'm, I'm not trying to call Willow out. Uh, or they got a victim advocate, or they got even a public defender and said, all right, we're going to try and do this. What What's it look like at your, you know, when we're doing this in Rochester, New York, right. six months from now? And we never do that. And the other part of it is we don't capture any data. And that's what everybody, well, show me the data, if this is working or not data. Why didn't you fund the data collection and data analysis Before. part of that, right? If, if you were going to hide behind data, then it's our job to capture the data and analyze mm-hmm. the data and report the data, because you're not going to mm-hmm. believe a thing I got to say. I'm a law enforcement, right? But, but they didn't, you know, they don't even put these thoughts in, but it's been sweeping. It's been overwhelming, and um, and victims are at the end of the story. There's a mom and there's three kids at Willow Domestic Violence Center. Please stop putting a number on that lady. That's all I'm saying. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't make her a stat. And, and uh, you know we're seeing it all day long in the box stores right now. Just people walking in, grabbing totally. bags and boxes, and walking right out. They don't even speed out anymore. They don't run to get nope. in their car and they drive away. Uh, and they, the box stores don't even call all the time because it's too much work. It's too mm-hmm. much work. And and again, what's the end product? Is it worth it? Um, and that's affecting everybody in the community. Let's nice. be real. Right. That's that's not gonna that that cost of those shoplifters that daily yeah. we have multiple 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 people don't realize that multiple mm-hmm. shop like massive shoplifting like thousands, thousands of, dollars of dollars at a time. You and, go to and the box store is not going to eat that profit. No, no, they're going to raise it's the price. Pa- it's right? passed <laughs> down right. to the consumer, so we're all mm-hmm. paying for it in the end. 
Right. And, you know, with domestic violence survivors, too, you know, we're paying for that in the end, too, because yeah. that's our tax dollars putting into health care costs yep. and labor wages when people are not able to come work. to work right. because of injuries or issues or isolation or threats and intimidation. I can't get to work or I need to go to the hospital. And, you know, we're paying for all of that kind of stuff, too. Yeah. And it's weird because it almost perpetuates this crazy, you know, cycle of you get people that, that have been, you know, uh, been abused or anything like that and they, sometimes they figure that why why should i go why should i go to willow why should i go mm-hmm. you know deal with victim assistance because they're not going to do anything they're not going to do mm-hmm. anything to yeah. help me i mean what what avenues can you think that can help these type of individuals coming in with that type of mindset and that type of thought process well i mean i would say that the criminal justice system is not the right system for all domestic violence survivors right just in general i think that that is difficult for the community to wrap their head around because you think oh something terrible has happened and you know maybe it's even a crime like go through the system but it's just not safe for a lot of people it is traumatizing you know i mean yeah. we're talking about trauma of a victim advocate on the outside of it right, right? imagine what it's like to go through it and talk right. about the worst thing that's ever happened to you over and over again to yeah. dozens and dozens of strangers it's horrible so knowing that that's not always the best process that we have to have some kind of other parallel processes we have to have options for community Community support mm-hmm. options for healing options for you know restorative justice yes. in some of these cases Huge. thinking about different avenues um, and then certainly you know in the criminal justice process thinking about ad- like advocates we just straight up need more victim advocates right. 100% we <laughs> you know, know when we think about like Paula did you set that up <laughs> I did not <laughs> no I, I mean when you have. think about like the, di- the discovery piece of this too that you know the district attorney's office is doing their best to meet the timelines that they can but they're not able to meet the timelines which is also part of the problem with discovery right is that you know we're getting to these cases and the charges are being dropped and it's gone because we can't meet the deadline for for discovery and turning over evidence and um just more support and resources and victim advocates are going to help with that and there's a support staff support yes. staff support i heard staff. it loud and clear i wrote it down <laughs> i'm more, gonna i'm gonna shout Paulus. out support staff in our schools more too Paulus. because those are the first folks who yeah. get cut and those are the first folks that kids say when something bad i was in a high school three weeks ago and a student said to me my ex-girlfriend tried to stab me oh. two months ago in school and i said who did you talk to nobody and he said well we got one social worker and i was like did you talk to her well she's kind of busy yeah you need like 10 of those social workers in there. Yeah, it's right? called prevention, right? But if they're the first people to go. There at that right? level. Yeah. And that goes back to our stats. I remember we were talking COVID earlier. You know, three things we started measuring right off the bat with COVID. Remember, we thought the world was coming to an end, right? Oh, we, we sure all, did. We can go about <laughs> hindsight. We can go hindsight 2020 on this, you know, but we were we were quarantined cruise ships no in Japan. They couldn't come to America for like three weeks, if you recall, right? So right. no one knew it was going to come out. But one of the things we anticipated was domestic violence calls would go up. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, that there would be a run on food. So we started we started tracking domestic violence calls. We started tracking every day, twenty four hours, uh, and and calls for service around our foods. You know, whether it's a Wegmans or a Tops or all these, but did the, the larcenies start increasing? So we can t- predict the trend. And one of the stats that, kind of what you were just saying, at least, our domestic violence calls went down drastically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right, our domestic mm-hmm. drastically, and, and the media kept on calling me. And I'm like, I can't explain it. I would think mm-hmm. there'd be more because one of the places that stayed open were liquor stores. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yep. <laughs> and uh, but you know, 
So, but all those other reporting mechanisms mm-hmm. you're mentioning as school counselor, right? Mm-hmm. Child all abuse gone. cases, right? All those those mandatory yep. reporters were all gone. I can't go gone. to my doctor's office. Right. Can you imagine if if your doctor's office was your safe place to talk yeah. to somebody yeah. or report something? Everything go. is telemedicine. How do you do that when your person who's hurting you is in the next room? Right. You can't do that. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. All of that support, all of those outlets, gone. Sh- poof, gone yeah. in a minute. We had that in the courts. We had virtual court appearances. Right. Well, some of these virtual court appearances. There was the perpetrator in the room with victim. Yeah. Yeah. Scary. yeah. Threatening yeah. them, intimidating yeah. them. Yeah. Wow. That's scary stuff, especially if you're the victim. And, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine what some mom is going through, or, you know, obviously in this world it's, it's changed quite a bit. But the uh, domestic partner, you know, the it's not. It's not just the one occurrence, right? That no. one gets called. It's not the one that, you know, it's years and years usually mm-hmm. built up and built up. But, uh, you know, I just want to express, you know, first of all, Paula, what you do for us and, and the other ladies that are victim advocates. We do need more of you. Uh, just so you know, uh, it's usually the, the second or third thing I ask for in a, on, on, a, on a horrific crime that we might have. Ask yeah. Chief Fowler with our voiceover message here that uh, <laughs> I ask all the victim advocates, are they there? You know, yeah. if we have a death on the side of the road, is victim advocates, you guys just do wonderful work for us and the Thank families you. that are going through a very confusing time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Lisa... I, I hope we've expressed what we believe in Willow, how much we, we appreciate what you guys are doing. We couldn't, I've been through the shelter. It's an amazing place, uh, but it's still a shelter for some young, you know, those numbers of kids. I, my heart bleeds for those kids, and I know you do too. Uh, and we'll support you guys any way we can. you got to keep, keep up the good fight. You guys are you're in the trenches with these, these families going through literally hell uh, and, and walking them out. And I love the prevention mind. Keep us in mind in the jail. Uh, I would really love to get you guys in with some of our domestic violence that are being accused and make sure we're working with those people where I got them in custody as much as possible. Yep, we're there. Save love our to next be. victims. Yeah, like I said, you guys are doing a phenomenal thing and you should be commended for it. So okay. much respect to you guys. And like like we said, uh, the name of this show, Behind the Badge, it goes beyond that. And it has many veins. And like I said, you guys are, you guys are a great asset to the Sheriff's Department. And I'm pretty sure uh, the Sheriff will echo that as well. So love having you guys on the show today. Thank you so much. For Thanks having for us. having us. Yeah, and I just plead uh, our our folks that are representing us in Albany, and, and, and you know they, they talk to folks like this when you're making decisions. Think about discovery, right? If, if someone's not in custody, we understand speedy trials. We understand why you should have the information yep. if someone's accusing you. I love our constitution, fought for it. But the other side is, if the guy's not in custody for six months and the trial ain't going to go for six months, why are we putting an undue pressure on the whole system of a 30, 45-day window? Get it to him six months before his trial date, right? So he can prepare his own defense. We all believe it. We don't even hear these stories, and that's why I thought it was important that we bring you guys on just to tell some, you know, these are humans. These are not stats. These are humans with families and loved ones. And and then they all, the, you know, just a simple domestic you described earlier, Lisa, how that compounds through the school systems and the EDs and, mm-hmm. and our health insurances, and it's incredible how this trickles through the whole community. It's very uh, complex. It is, and, it, and each one's a la carte, right? Mm-hmm. Every one and of these yep. cases Everyone is, is yep. you, you can kind of see the cycle and similarities, but every single one is, is different individual and complex. Needs, right, absolutely. Because they're all individual humans. Yep. Amen. Well, we finish up the show on a little lighter note, the no Miranda zone. That means I, you're familiar with Miranda warnings. You have a right to remain silent. Sure this did. is no Miranda. You don't have a right to remain silent. So <laughs> we're just going to ask you a couple of questions. You guys fire off the answers as quick as possible. Okay. And uh, it's also like a psychological profile. So don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, yeah, you're off probation. <laughs> All right. Uh, last book you read. Dave Grohl's autobiography. What's that the about? Story. The story. Oh, Dave Grohl. It's his autobiography. Yeah, I figured that, but... Uh, it, it's, it's called The Storyteller, and 
he's just a fascinating human being. He dropped out of high school and told his mom, who was a, a public school teacher, that he was going to become a musician and went and, and did it. Wow. And did it hugely. And so I read it and I did partially because my son is 20 and decided he doesn't want to go to college and he wants to be a musician. There you go. There you go. She gave you some hope. So I just needed hope. <laughs> you needed some hope. Lisa, last book. Uh, because I have trouble turning this. Three kids running this, around the house. You might right? <laughs> Three kids. Um, but because I have trouble turning this job off sometimes, I actually just finished the book. It's called What Happened to You. It's um, Childhood Trauma and Adverse Childhood Experiences. It's by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. And it's a fabulous read and understanding how what happens to kids when they're little and how that trauma shows up as adults. The book again? It's called What Happened to You. Wow. Now, what's wrong with you? Yep. I, what happened to you? Where'd you come from? Where'd you come from? What's yeah. your story? And how yeah. does that impact what I see in front of me today? And years later. And years and years, years and years later. Yeah. And it might even be hidden for a few years. For a very long time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good yep. for you. Good for you. Favorite TV show of all time. Oh, gosh. All time. I can't all wait to hear this hard. one from Paula. All time is hard. I mean, who doesn't love Shit's Creek? <laughs> yes. It's not, it's not a bad word, I swear. No. no, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. That's a great one. Oh, the characters in there are just oh, how they play so off each other. Fun. Oh, so yeah. fun. It's hysterical. It's definitely, definitely worth a, watch. a light one so that when yeah, you come you home relax. after a tough day, you can just watch it. And that's a really good binge watcher because they go quick. Oh, and wow. that's me. I got to watch comedy when I go home. I can't watch a police mm -hmm. show or reality oh, show. Yeah. Like I get to, I yell at the screen. Like I just got to laugh at stupid things. The other one, I, Grey's Anatomy, is the one yeah. that I'm like I've watched the series probably five times through. Right. So we'll quiz you on it later. That's because I'm not in the medical field. <laughs> Lisa, what's uh, that show? I I also love Schitt's Creek. Highly recommend it. Um, I don't know about all time, but I'll tell you, I just finished watching uh, Formula One, Drive to Survive really? on Netflix. I love love me some Formula One racing. And yeah. that show is so great because it's so drama filled with those guys. It's hysterical. Oh, really? I love it. it love their stories. Oh, it's yeah. all about them and their egos and their nonsense. And right. I just absolutely love it. And racing. So yeah. NASCAR fan? No. 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 Just the opposite. Formula One. Oh, real racing. Is that what you're Real racing. Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> More than just a circle. My next meeting, I'm, we're helping to develop a fundraiser for the Sheriff's Foundation uh, out, of, out of Albany. for, uh, And we're helping to go to Watkins Glen and open up Watkins Glen as an opportunity so to fun. drive. Yeah, so. Oh, wow. Cool. So we'll let you take your Formula One car up there, I guess. Right. Or just take me for a spin. That's all right. <laughs> there you go. You're going to go on a spin in a couple of days, right? Going right. south. With, right. <laughs> we're talking offline. Vacation coming. Oh, yeah. With kids right. in a car. Yeah. That's that's a Formula One race right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got one more quick one for you. Favorite quote or mantra you live by? I got this one right off the top of my oh, head. There we go. It's Maya Angelou. It is do the best until you know better, and when you know better, do better. Yeah, I like that. Oh, well, I can't it's also a tongue that. twister. It's not even fair. <laughs> what she said. What she <laughs> <laughs> That's why. We're going to leave on the ditto counter right there. Ditto what she said. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being frank and open in conversations. Thanks for what you guys do. I thank think you we, for having us. I said that, that uh, you're doing work of angels. Really. Can I plug our hotline real quick? Oh, and your website. Yeah, please. And, yeah. And, yeah, please do. So if um, if anybody is listening, is experiencing anything, or you need help and support yourself or for somebody else, I encourage you to call our hotline. It's 585-222-7233. You can also text us at 585-348-7233. Our website is Willow 
willowcenterny.org, willowcenterny.org. And you can also live real-time chat to us through the website that's safe and secure as well. So it's 24 hours a day. It is always answered by humans. And if you need anything, if you have questions, you're always welcome to call us. There is no wrong reason to call. That's awesome. If you don't have the answer, I'm sure you're going to go find it. If it's not we even sure will. Related we'll get you to, to the mission, right person related, in your spot. Right. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, Paula, for being with us. And Thank you. Tiz, always great to have you. Hey, you, I'm glad to be here, sir. Go Steelers, I think, right? Is that what we're supposed to say? <laughs> I think. <laughs> hey, we'll this is that. this is probably one of the first podcasts you didn't offend any one of our guests <laughs> with, your, with your, the Buffalo Bills statement. There's so, always time, sir. <laughs> <laughs> with that, we're going to say goodbye, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Everybody be safe. God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of MCSO Behind the Badge. In between episodes, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Monroe Sheriff NY. Until next week, be safe.